What's up, gang? Billy Ray Mitchell. It is 7.41 and 38 seconds, which means I got a, less than 19 minutes until The Bachelorette comes back on. America needs The Bachelorette. We're fired up to have it back. Anyway, got some awesome, awesome stuff here for you. Um, for this episode, Pat and Grayson sat down with Danny Cole. Hokey legend Danny Cole talked a little bit about his career and what he has going on, which is absolutely fantastic. I cannot wait to listen to it. And then after that, we have the Locks of Saturday bringing you their picks for, gosh, is that, it's got to be week 10, I think. 10th week of uh, college football, which is super exciting. What else is going on? Obviously, this episode is brought to you by Lord Jeremy Counts and the Main Street Pharmacy. Get on over and check them out. Stocking up for the fall, stocking up for the winter, need some hand warmers, whatever, head on down. We absolutely love the Main Street Pharmacy. In terms of other updates, this upcoming week, we need to beat Liberty. After we beat Liberty, next week we play Miami. Pat Finn and I will be in town in Blacksburg for the Miami game. Really looking forward to that. We'll have some great content coming your way for that. Um, But aside from that, Looking forward. Claire's getting kicked off The Bachelorette tonight, I think. Um, You know, that's exciting. The world needs The Bachelorette. It's back. Uh, We got Utah and Nevada playing football right now. The score is 2-0. Utah and Nevada. I mean, 2-0. That's par for the course for those states and par for the course for 2020. Whatever. Anyway, here we go. Danny Cole first. Locks of Saturday second. I'm going to hand it over to them. We have a incredible guest here, uh, one of the fan favorites of Virginia Tech over the past few decades. Danny Cole is joining us on Sons of Saturday. Danny Cole was a West, not West, wide receiver at Virginia Tech from Lexington, Virginia. Uh, statistically, Danny is the fourth highest ranked receiver of all time at Virginia Tech with 157 receptions and over 2,500 yards. Danny won two ACC championships and was drafted by the Cowboys in the 2012 draft and now lives in the Pittsburgh area. Danny Cole, welcome to the Sons of Saturday. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. This is exciting, and it's a victory Sunday, right? So all the better. Uh, no, but this is cool. This is, uh, like I said, it's, it's neat to be on, and I'm excited to, to talk, you know, any, anything and everything Hokies here. I was going to say, get the W yesterday. Victory Sunday. Uh, what are your thoughts on the season so far? I know it's uh, been a bit tumultuous. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? It's a tough one to gauge, right? Because COVID's just certainly thrown everything uh, for a loop. And I just couldn't, as a player, uh, you put yourself in their shoes, you put yourself in the shoes of a coach and trying to prepare. Uh, you know, it's hard enough to prepare and it's hard enough to win um, without COVID. And then you throw COVID in and you don't know – you know, who you're going to have every week, Um, sometimes, you know, up up until game day. um, You also don't know exactly who you're prepping against each week, you know, because of COVID necessarily. So it's a dynamic that is, um, I can imagine, really difficult and challenging. Um, But I've I've been, 
you know, watching now from afar as a fan, I've been proud uh, of the way that the guys have handled it. The coaching staff has handled it and kind of made the best out of a, you know, um, kind of this unfortunate, uncertain situation that everybody's kind of living through right now. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, before we kind of get into some of these questions here, how is your 2020 going? All things. <laughs> it's been, it's been a whirlwind. I think like everybody else ups and downs, but it's been good, man. You know, uh, we, uh, so we've been in the Pittsburgh area for the last, you know, six or seven years, um, moved back here kind of while I was still trying to take a crack at the NFL. Um, but we've moved homes. We, so we moved, uh, a little over a month ago, a month and a half, we've been in a new home. We've got two children and we, we are now expecting a third. So we're having a baby here. Um, you know, due dates, November 21st. So in the, in the coming weeks, so we'll have an addition to the family, which is exciting. Um, I've been work from home since March and that's been kind of interesting and, and, uh, uh, and great at the same time, right? I get to spend a lot of time with our kids and we've got a four-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl. So it's been, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a bit crazy, but, um, there, there are a lot, there's a lot of joy in it as well. And you try and find those silver linings and, and, uh, and, uh, so things are going, you know, as good as, as can be, man. Well, congratulations on the uh, on the newest addition to the Cole Clan. I think that's awesome, man. That could be a good little Thanksgiving gift uh, for for your end, right there. Uh, if the twenty first ends up being right on the money, but Danny, well, it see. hasn't the first time, first couple times. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we've been a little late with the first two, but maybe we'll sprinkle in some like spicy food on uh, you know the Thanksgiving. There you go. Things kicked into gear here. <laughs> there you go. I love that. <laughs> So let's start from the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk to us about your recruitment to Virginia Tech. Who was your primary recruiter at Episcopal High School? Yeah, so um, Coach Foster recruited me out of uh, out of high school, um, and so he he kind of it's funky because when, when I talk about Virginia Tech, um, you know, obviously Coach Beamer was super impactful, but kind of next in line for me was Bud Foster. And a lot of people, I think, scratched their heads and say, you played offense, he's a defensive coach. Um, but he was my recruiting coordinator. And guys, like, the process for me was very interesting and it, it taught me a lot. You know, I, I haven't been, um, I've been vocal, let me say, about, you know, growing up a, a UVA fan and kind of, my brother went there, uh, I played lacrosse, I was being recruited to play lacrosse there. Um, and then I went through the process, right? And I think it teaches uh, everyone something a bit different. But for me, um, you know, Coach Foster and the way that he just communicated from from start to finish, um, I appreciated so much. And it was, you know, in today's game, really unique, uh, I think, to have somebody who gives you his word and keeps his word. Um, and, you know, through dealing with Coach Foster, in that recruiting process, I really fell in love with Virginia Tech. I, lo- I fell in love with what they had to offer, um, the, just the way that that they treat people, you know. And, and I come to find out it wasn't a, it wasn't smoke and mirrors. It wasn't a, you know, a recruiting gimmick. It's just they are authentic to who they are, and that was obvious in the recruiting process. Um, they kind of made it easy, like they they were the only ones really to to offer me. Um, NC State kind of came in there late, but, um, you know, uh, it made the decision really easy for me. And even if I was a multiple offer guy and, you know, the Hokies would have been 
uh, my choice, just the way that they, they, um, you know, approached recruiting the way that they, you know, approached you, um, just as a human being, you know, um, is just top notch, you know? So, um, you know, coach Foster recruited me out of high school and I'm so thankful for that. And then what ultimately kind of led you to choose uh, football over lacrosse and how hard was that decision? Um, it was hard, you know, I, I really loved lacrosse. I loved, um, it's a, it's a tremendous sport. You know, I think there are so many things that lacrosse can teach you. Um, it's, it's a, it's a mix of a lot of different things, right? It's physical, like football, there's footwork that you need on a basketball court. I mean, there's, there are just so many things at the end of the day, it just wasn't my love. It wasn't my passion. My brother, you know, was, a you know, I, I was a, I was a good athlete with a lacrosse stick in my hand. You know, I wasn't a great lacrosse player in my opinion. Um, and I just loved football. I, I just loved the team component and team aspect of football. Um, you know, there, there were great coaches that I met on the lacrosse field and, and, you know, UVA coaches were fantastic. And, and, you know, it, it was, it was, uh, Again, that was a great process, but I just threw out, you know, I, football is just what I love. I love playing it. I love Saturdays. I loved preparing for it. Um, it was just kind of the, my my first love. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I thought about playing both in college um, somehow, you know, before kind of when I was going into my senior year and, and I hadn't had an offer and trying to figure out all these different ways to kind of um, still continue my athletic career in college. I thought about doing it a couple of different ways, but you know, like I said, um, my, my dream when I was little was to play big time college football, uh, especially growing up in Lexington. It was the ACC. And, and uh, fortunate for me, it was Virginia Tech that gave me that opportunity. I remember in 2008 was your freshman year. Did you redshirt or were you? I did uh, redshirt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, what was it like kind of uh, in that redshirt experience and seeing guys like, you know, Eddie Royal go through and, and uh, Harper and Hyman and just seeing how talented they were in the wide receiver room? I mean, yeah, like it was, it was an eye-opening experience for me. And it was so important to my development and my growth as a receiver, you know, to be able to, to walk into that locker room, right? And, and there are like four studs in the room, right? I mean, you, they, they – on their own could have been the number one receiver at any ACC, any top power five program, in my opinion. And, uh, and I learned a ton, right? Like redshirting ended up being a great thing for me. I got to concentrate with coach Gentry, really learn the playbook and what we were trying to do and then learn from those guys. Right. And, and the best thing about them is they were all different. They, they had a different, each one of them had a different skill set. They ran routes differently. They had, you know, and that was, when they left, you know, trying to take pieces of what they taught me, whether they knew it or not, you know, you're in there and soaking everything up like a sponge as best you could, you know, and you try and, and you try and like, ah, and, and, and we would watch, we would watch coach Sherman would put film of those guys on, right. When we were, when we, when I was a redshirt freshman and Dyrell and Jarrett were in there and we had our group and we were trying to learn and we were growing up together, you know, we would put on one-on-ones of, of uh, Eddie and Justin and Josh and Josh and just, the, the way that they would attack defenders and the way that they would play, you know, especially when we look at film from, you know, prepping for a team and you're looking at film from the prior year, you know, the way that those guys, um, you know, approached those game plans. I mean, it was, it was just, you know, I, I, I don't think collectively um, 
you know, Dyrell Jarrett and I would have been, you know, as good or as um, impactful as a unit if it wasn't for the guys before us, because I, I, we just learned so much from them. Um, and I know that Dyrell and Jarrett weren't, you know, they didn't redshirt, but again, it was a, the, the four guys before us were a, um, a staple in our development and film that we watched, uh, you know, and they would come back too. like, they would, I remember Harpo would come and he'd sit in the room, you know, and tell us what he was doing at the Ravens and, and talk through routes. And, you know, they were just great. Yeah. So redshirting was like, it's usually important. Not, you know, some guys want to come in and play right away. And, and, uh, and for me, it was, it was just great to have that year development. So what was it like playing with two incredibly talented quarterbacks like Tyrod Taylor and like Logan Thomas? You know, I just feel uh, very fortunate. You know, I feel very fortunate to have those guys. Tyrod is, is just, and they both are, you know, but from a, from a leadership perspective, having three years with Tyrod, I mean, I just never, he was so consistent day in and day out. And his approach, um, he was never rattled. There was never a point in the game when we were down or we were away and we were backed up in a student section that he, he didn't have control. And he didn't have confidence in his ability, his unit's ability to go out and compete and win. I mean, there are a number of games that we had to come from behind a win or just kind of you know piece something together to, to put up the W. Um, and his leadership was tremendous. And then you, you insert Logan. And I remember that guy, you know, so I remember when, when he came in, we didn't have a backup quarterback for Tyrod. And so I think he was the, like the number one or two tight end recruit in the country. Uh, and they were like, hey, let's just, you know, I, Michael came and said, hey, let's just stick him at quarterback for, you know, a week in camp and see if he can, if he can play. And I think he like wore out probably like five pairs of my gloves. I mean, the way that he just zipped the ball wow. was insane. Um, and so he was just too talented to, and, and had too good of an arm to put him at tight end. So he, you know, he did his time before Tyrod. And then again, another just great leader, you know, um, and for somebody who to come in, you know, my senior year and he, you know, he hadn't played that position his entire life or, you know, he hadn't had the experience, but he came in and like a vet and just, um, he just, they're just two tremendous guys, you know, just two tremendous guys that, care so much about their team. Um, and, you know, I learned so much from both of them. Uh, and I'm just really thankful that I had, you know, two guys that qualified, you know, and it's exciting, frankly, to be able to see them still playing and watch Tyrod and, you know, hopefully he gets here healthy here soon and seeing the success Logan's had. I mean, it's just really cool and really neat. Yeah. Two of my favorite games ever. Uh, one of them being the 2010 ACC championship and then also the 2010 Miami game. I remember, um, well, you scored touchdowns in that same play in both games um, where you're just completely, you know, Danny Cole is wide open and, uh, you know, untouched to the end zone. Um, but that 2010 Miami game when Tyrod, you know, gets, gets, um, gets beat up and, Logan comes in for like just one play comes in cold and just rips a dart to you. <laughs> and you know, I, I think it was a safety like lit you up, but you held yep. on the ball. What was helmet that? Came off. Yeah. Helmet flies yeah. off. Oh yeah. What yeah. was that? What was that play like? That That's, I mean, it was awesome. Like, it, you know, 
Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, that was a great game. And for him to come off the bench and just kind of, it was a super physical game. Like it, it always is with Miami, you know, like I, <laughs> there's just some unbelievable athletes on that team. And so there was always some chatter, you know, uh, just given the rivalry in the years uh, prior and the history there. And so um, it's just always a super physical game. And, and, you know, I loved it, right? Like hit, take my helmet off all day long. Like, that's okay. We're going to continue to move the chains, you know, like that's why I'll put it back on and we'll do it again. Like that's the mentality that, you know, kind of we had. And it, it was, uh, those games were always fun. And, and uh, you know, but it's, that's a perfect example of Logan, right? Like Tyrod goes down, you know, Logan steps in, throws a dart, Tyrod comes back in, you know, tough is you know tough as can be and that's one of the best competitors i've ever met and he's right back in it you know so um you know and, and those yeah those those crossing routes were always fun because i always loved prepping for florida state miami you know you had a bit more man coverage so you could be a little bit more interesting and kind of your schemes and and um and when you cross right and and you've got Jarrett on one side and Tyrell outside of me and you know, somebody's got to pass it or you got to stay with your man. Um, and they tried to pass it and they should have stayed with their man and it, the rest is history. But it was always, those were always great games and always super competitive. I remember, I remember it was like third and 19 or something crazy. And when Tyrod went out, I was so worried thinking, oh man, like I had heard a couple of things about Logan Thomas uh, and, and I knew that he had a rocket for an arm. Yeah. Uh, and he comes in, and sure enough, just laser beam over over the middle of the field. And yeah, yeah. You, you got lit up, man, but you held onto the ball, so that's what yeah. that's what matters. Yeah, that's the I'll job, never forget right? that. <laughs> that's pretty. Um, so, so from some of those teams, a lot of good memories, I'm sure. A lot really? of demolition over UVA. Who are some of the guys uh, from those teams that you still keep up with uh, here today? You know, it's hard. Um, you know, everybody's kind of going there in different ways and life gets in the way and you try and still connect with them through either text or social media. You know, I'm on a couple of chains and, and, you know, my roommates, you know, Sal Lanier, um, Chris Drager, you know, keep up with those guys. Um, you know, the nice thing I've connected with Drager and we, we were able to see the Hokies in person last time they played Pitt. Um, you know, I uh, try to keep up with, you know, like Eddie Whitley if I can. Um, so we, we try, you know, the best we can to, to keep up. It's hard, you know, a couple kids running around. But, uh, I mean, I just had, you know, just some un, you know, unbelievable um, just people. And then when I think about my time at Virginia Tech, the thing that stands out, you know, it's just the people, right? It was – it hit you on the, the head when you were a recruit in the way that they treated people. And then you go out through the, through the process of, and, you know, whether it's your, um, either the teammates you played with or, you know, your teachers, um, you know, football operations, the strength coaches, everybody's just top notch. And, and so when I think back on, on my time there, there are just so many people, players and coaches and teachers that are so impactful. And um, I just appreciate and learn so much from, so what does life after football look like for you currently, Danny? Uh, what are you up to these days professionally? What are your leisurely hobbies? Uh, I know you said you got, you got the little ones running around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm always kind of curious about that. 
Yeah. So, um, I, uh, when I, when I was done playing, I kind of had this moment where I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life here. Um, and at that point in trying to play in the NFL, I knew it had been about three years. I had several in- injuries and it was, it, the time was, you know, had passed, I was ready to kind of move on and got a great degree from Pamplin in finance and wanted to put it to use. You know, at that point, um, yeah, I wanted to challenge myself outside of football. I had some tremendous teachers um, at Virginia Tech, whether it be Art Talon or Derek Clock or Mike Kender. Um, I, I was part of SEED at Virginia Tech, which was the yes. Student Endowment for Educational Development. And it's, it's a fantastic organization where they, they invest real dollars. So I was, you know, I was, um, I was ready to put that to, to use. And it was like, you know, just to, to kind of show you the type of people that I dealt with there, you know, when I was done playing, my first call was to my agent um, to talk through that. And my second call was to, to Cowan and my kinder and said, Hey, I'm done playing. You know, this is what I'm interested in doing. And so, um, you know, fast forward, I've been at PNC in Pittsburgh. It's, kind of a regional bank here uh, for for almost five years. I've been in a couple of different capacities, but all within our debt capital markets group and and kind of in a sales and trading function. And it's a great team. You know, it's it's a um, kind of they you know they kind of label themselves as this you know it's the Main Street Bank that competes with some of the bigger players, and it's a tremendous a group of people in our debt capital markets, great leadership. And so we've been here for five years and, you know, we, uh, four-year-old boy, two-year-old girl, one on the way. Um, so Pittsburgh's just a great place. You know, it's, it's, um, kind of nestled, you know, uh, in a pretty unique spot to where you can, you know, you can get to a river or to a lake or, you know, we try and spend as much time outside as we can. It gets super cold, obviously, in the wintertime. But, um, you know, we just spend as much time as we can with family. And and uh, my wife's from here and and uh, and she still has family here. So we're and they've got kids. So we just try and get together with them as much as we can. And, and uh, you know, it's involved at our church here uh, in the South Hills of Pittsburgh. And that's been that's been great. So it's, uh, you know, it's a great place to raise a family. Uh, a lot of good good people, hardworking people, blue collar people. So we enjoy it here, man. So we have a, uh, we have a few rapid fire questions here and then we'll do letters from the lunch pail. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so yeah, first thing that comes to mind or first, uh, first answer that comes to mind for here for rapid fire, which okay. is brought to you by the Chesapeake center for complete dentistry. Shout out to our guy, Dr. Cranham down there. Favorite away stadium to play in. So I loved when we went to Nebraska. That was awesome. I'll tell you this too. Like when we going to Georgia Tech or to Boston College, when we played them, you know, the night game away and it's like 40,000, but it's packed and right on top of you. Um, and you're playing a conference game. Like those, those are really good, good uh, environments and atmospheres. Fans are hilarious, you know, um, just hilarious they always play like playing at uva but you know again you know uh, going down to to atlanta to play or boston college something on the line it's packed um you can't beat that favorite uniform combo um so i always liked our black jerseys um 
but let's see here. And I, I, <laughs> I liked our, I liked our orange jerseys too, but um, give me like, give me a maroon helmet, maroon jersey, white pants, like, Oh yeah. Like classic. the traditional hokey look classic yeah. winner. You know, <laughs> we did some interesting, we did some interesting combos. There was like, a, there was a period, I think it might've been after me where some questionable kind of choices. <laughs> That's putting, it, that's putting it lightly. Yeah, yeah but you know, uh, it, we we uh, you know it was uh, we always had some good looks, man. So, <laughs> uh, grittiest guy that you ever got to play with. So, the benefit. So all our linemen, like I loved the way that they played. Like my, you know, and I, I, I'm when I'm talking about them, I'm talking about like my senior year and Lanier and Nassau and and Brooks and, and Blake and all those guys just, you know, competed their tails off. Um, the, be- the best thing was going up against our defense. And, um, you know, like Cam Chancellor flying around in the secondary. Um, so th- I know this is rapid fire, but I got to <laughs> – so he was a senior, and I think I was a sophomore, and every Tuesday at practice was like Scout Tuesday, right? Scouts would come in and we would do one-on-one. Um, and I, oddly enough, was always paired with Cam Chancellor. And uh, it was great for me, but he wanted to show off his like man skills, right? So he would, and his ability to not cover a safety, but to come up and like play like man to man, three yards in front of my face. And his reach is like absurd. So just me trying to get around him. Um, you know, I, again, great being able to go up against him every single day, but just watching him play and his leadership. Uh, Cam, I mean, you know, he's got Jason Worlds, uh, Cody Grimm. Like, gosh, watch him play football. You know, he'll be ready to run through a brick wall. Those teams were just so good. Um, what is your favorite band to see in concert? So that's a great question. I the last band I saw in concert was the Lumineers in Pittsburgh right before, um, which was good. It was a good show, uh, which right before COVID happened, I saw Garth Brooks. He came to Heinz field and that was like a bucket list item for me. I always wanted to see it. He's just such a good entertainer. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can't wait till we can go to a concert again. And I'm, I'm a country guy. So like, like going to see like a, like a Luke Holmes or something like that is kind of on my list. Um, a bunch of others, but yeah, uh, I've seen, I've seen, you know, a handful and Garth Brooks was great. He didn't disappoint. Favorite year of college. Senior year. Senior year. Why, yeah. why senior year over, over the three years, no disrespect to Logan Thomas, but why senior year as opposed to the other three? I think you're just in a, you know, you're, you're finally like the older person in the locker room. Right. And, and, uh, from a leadership standpoint, it's fun. It's fun to kind of be with the guys that you were recruited with. And now you're, you find yourself with seniors and you're kind of leading the drills and, and, uh, and, um, there's, you know, again, I just, I, you know, being able to red shirt and then kind of, uh, spend, you know, a lot of years playing some really awesome, uh, you know, games, just 
there as a senior, it was just unique and um, kind of knowing it was my last go around, it meant meant something really special. And um, so it, it was definitely, I mean, but all those, like you said, all those years were super memorable and for many different reasons. Any of those, like my favorite football season is uh, the year that we beat in 2010, we beat Florida State in the ACC championship. I mean, you know, what we lose to Boise State and JMU and then go undefeated and, and uh, just to be able to pick ourselves back up, you know, and get to that, that game is super important. Awesome to see. And then uh, last rapid fire question here, rank your top five most hated rivals. Okay. Okay. This is a good one. In 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 order of most hate. <laughs> in order of most hated, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I will I'll preface it with this: like, I was never one of those guys. Like, I'm not out to like. I don't want to make the game too emotional, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not out to like hold grudges or anything like that. You know, I, you know, you prepare. My my opinion is I prepare. You know. Um, to have confidence in my own abilities, my team's abilities, and give us whoever, right? Like, um, but with that said, um, the in-state matchup is the most important one, right? There's like, there's no doubt about it. Um, and then you just walk through the list, right? And it's, it's, uh, and from my time there, it was, I'd say Miami, um, two, uh, Boston College, three, Georgia Tech, four. Um, let's see who else. Carolina, we always had good game. I mean, anything, anybody in the coastal there, like that was, that was important football. Um, but you got to win the state first, right? Yep. Okay. Stamp. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to jump into uh, letters from the lunch pail here, okay. brought to you by Sharky's Blacksburg. It's where good friends go. Danny, are you, are you a hot wings guy? You like buffalo wings? So I do. Yeah, I do. I'm not a dry rub guy, though. Agreed. What, what's your okay? If, if you had to go to Sharky's tomorrow, what are you what are you going to order uh, from the wing? So I, I can't like the menu offhand. You know, it's a blur, right? But like, any, I'm more like if I'm going to order wings. I'm a bit more like I'm not. I'm not like a honey barbecue person. Like, give me barbecue with like a little bit of like spice in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I'll with ranch. That's that's going to be my go-to. Um, yeah, I just can't like the dry rub thing's just not my style. <laughs> and if you're also going down to Sharky's, be sure to check out Sons of the Bloody Weekend, the new Bloody Mary menu that they got going. Oh wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> very, very excited about that. <laughs> that sounds so intense. Oh yeah. So our first one comes from Wayne Kent, Grayson. Yes. Wayne Kent asks, Danny, part A. How long did it feel like for the ball to hit your hands against <laughs> Nebraska in yeah. that iconic catch? Yeah, I feel like um, it's almost like time stood still for a second, right? Uh, and, you know, that was a route that I actually had to convert. I was supposed to have a 10-yard out route, but they showed cover two. So in cover two, shell, you take it up. And uh, the idea being you draw that safety, the safety bit. And so it left me wide open. Um, and it felt like the ball was in the air forever. I mean, it was like, it was, couldn't have been a more perfect ball. And then I, I had to make it a little dramatic, right? So you got to get caught at the three. <laughs> <laughs> I 
at the three. He did not. Yeah, get it. right. <laughs> and I was sweating it there for. I'm not gonna lie, I was sweating it before Dyrell bailed me out. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And then, yeah. uh, and then Wayne has a, a part B favorite. Yeah. Uh, Coach Beamer quote or moment. Okay. Um, so. Um, so I like my, and like, so my favorite moment with him was, you know, running out senior night and be able to give him a hug. Right. Like that, like that, that man meant, and he still does mean so much to me. Um, and that was an, a very, again, you try and not keep it emotional, but it's a very emotional game. It's the last one running out of the tunnel. Um, thinking back on like all that he did for me as a as a player and a man you know couldn't couldn't be more grateful for him um and i think you know and i've used this honestly and it's a bit cliche to get a bit cliche but i've used this um since i've left virginia tech and other facets of life um and he 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 had painted in big letters right in the locker room was if you take care of the little things the big things will come and I think that's just a testament. Like that's who Frank Beamer was, right? And and you're quietly building this powerhouse of a football program in Southwest Virginia, and you're doing it by going about it the right way. You're doing the little things the right way. You're taking the appropriate responsibilities and accountabilities. Um, and it could be going to class. It could be you know making sure you finish your your workout. Um, and you know if you take care of all that at the end of the day, you're going to put yourself in a position to compete for ACC championships, to compete uh, at, a, at a bigger stage, perhaps also. So I think that, you know, for me, there are so many things I could point back to. I mean, I like obviously always love watching him dance after games, but, but for it, just thinking about some of the impactful things that he left on my life, like that was one of the more impactful quotes. Um, that uh that i had during that i learned during my time there cannot agree more with that and then uh patrick lawrence says danny everyone talks about the receiving core before you boykin roberts and davis which was uh josh morgan eddie royal justin harper Mm -hmm. josh hyman and after y'all ford phillips and hodges make Mm -hmm. your case for your receiving core to take (laughs) the top spot (laughs) okay all right that's fair. Um, you know, so I'll always take my guys like any day of the week. Like I'll take Jarrett, Dyrell, Marcus, um, you know, that backfield that we had, like, our, like I just, I'll take them all day long. Um, and for me, I think uh, yeah, the fun thing, and I'm, those guys did it as well, but like, again, you go from that East Carolina game as I'm a redshirt freshman, we lose in Charlotte to East Carolina. It felt like it was a thousand degrees that day. It was, just, that was it, the hottest day ever. I felt like I was on a rock out in the middle of the Sahara desert, just like <laughs> baking. Um, and we lose to ECU, you know, and like I'll never coach Gentry's speech at halftime. Like I'll always remember that. Um, and, you know, and so from that point on to, to where we went, like it was a truly a journey um i will say this like uh and i said it earlier in the podcast without those guys um i wouldn't have been the type of player i was i was able you know i was able to take bits and pieces from them um i learned so much from them um and their approach to the game 
Um, and I'm so appreciative of that. I mean, those guys in my mind, they were like stars. Um, and to be able to learn, listen, try to emulate some of their stuff, uh, you know, it, it, it that's why we were the best ones because we learned from them. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and then last question here from yeah. Sophokian. Uh, it was a catch, and did any official or coach ever tell you that the overturned call was wrong? No, but I work in like um, in Pittsburgh. There are a lot of Michigan fans, and they they I think they tell me it was a catch too. You know, so no, there was never. I mean, it, it was it was a point of top. Like when I went on to the NFL Combine, we it was a one of the first questions that was asked um, by a lot of these teams is, "Did you catch that ball?" And so it made for a good kind of centerpiece. Um, to be able to talk to coaches, but uh, no, I've never. I, you know, sometimes, admittedly, as a receiver, you you hate instant replay because you're thinking like, I don't know that I caught that one clean. Um, you're just trying to like hurry up to get to the next play. Um, that one, I was like, hey, review it all day long. Um, there's no doubt in my mind I caught that, and it just didn't go our way. But it's how the game goes, you know. It is how it goes, but uh, we really, really appreciate <laughs> You're damn right, Danny. Damn right, Danny Cole. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we really appreciate you jumping on with us uh, here this afternoon, Danny. And uh, as we do with every guest we bring on, we want to give you the floor and the opportunity to, to give anyone some shout-outs, anything yeah. you plug, anything you got going on. Uh, you know, this is your moment to be able to do this. Yeah. So, um, you know, we didn't cover this, but I, I got it. There are a few people that I got a shout out from my time there. And, and it was, it go, you know, coach Beamer and coach Foster, coach Sherman, you know, the, the, the big three in my mind. Right. Um, but I think you, you can't discount the impact of Mike Gentry and the, the impact that Mike Gentry had on that program and that program's success. You think about him and his staff and Keith Short and Jared Ferguson, the guys that were there when I was there. Um, we spend so much time with them, you know, and I, and we see them during the season, in the off season. We see them, you know, during the summer when we're preparing. So the the um, the mentality and the mindset that and the culture they create in the weight room, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Mike Gentry and his team had an enormous impact he did in my life personally. So I got, you know, I have to say this. Um, he, so just an incredible, uh, I think person that, that you don't want to ever get lost in translation that he, you know, his approach was top notch. And I, again, it, we, we wouldn't have been as good on the field if it weren't for he and his staff. Um, and then a couple people, to John Boleyn and Bruce Garns, you know, those are two guys, um, John is director of football ops and Bruce, uh, was with him. And just, again, it was, it was so integral. Um, you know, I joked that like Bruce always did my trash talking, uh, for me that the best route was a route that was like towards our sideline at about anywhere between like nine and like 18 yards, because if I caught the ball, Bruce was just going to be in that ear all day long. Um, and he did his talking for me. So it's just like an incredible, like family environment. And it goes from Beamer to Sherman to Foster to Gentry to Berlin and, and the academic support set. So I just can't, 
like I can't leave the podcast without saying um, that there were so many people that are important, uh, Coach Stein's like to my development as a person and player that you can't capture in 40 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it might be. But um, they were very important to me. So I just have to say that. Well, Danny, thank you again so much for joining us and uh, yeah. congratulations on the, uh, on the new addition of the family later in the month, but uh, stay you. safe and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Go Hokies. It was a pleasure, guys. There we go. Go Hokies. <laughs> what is up, sons and daughters? This is Sam Jesse coming to you live with the locks of Saturday crew. I have Brett. I have Chris. I have Robert. I have Ed. And we are really pumped because we have made it to week 10. We are in November and we still have a college football season. Guys, how are you feeling? Maction is back. We couldn't be better right now. Yep. Big Maction fan. Second that. I made some bets on Maction tonight that are looking good so far. I don't want to jinx them, but I feel good about it. Yeah, it's Maction. Anything can happen. Let's be real. Didn't Akron started it with an onside kick. Yeah, that was that was the most maxion way to start maxion. That's incredible. Like, come on, absolutely, it was incredible. incredible. And they recovered it, and he was barely off sides. I think, like they got it. He was like half a yard off sides. Crazy. We'll have to do a Mac game next week, or maybe like a special yep. Twitter video for a maxion game coming up soon, because that's just glorious, and everyone should be betting on Mac football. Now we're gonna start this one off with a definite. Not Mac game, but it's going to be happening in Mac country. Clemson minus five and a half at Notre Dame. The storyline writes itself. This is potentially a preview of the ACC championship game. These are two potential college football playoff teams. These are two really good quarterbacks and Trevor Lawrence isn't even playing. Robert, I'm going to start with you. Clemson minus five and a half at Notre Dame. What do you got? I'm going to start us off by um, giving a little bit of a lesson here of how to pronounce Clemson's quarterback's name. His name is DJ Uyanga Lale. That's I've been working on that for like two that weeks. That's very well done. That was and I finally well. figured out Uyanga Lale. That's that's what I'm going with. Um, but looking at this game, what sticks out to me is is the two rush defenses from both teams. Um, you know, Clemson is always known for their defense, but Notre Dame's defense has been spectacular this season. Um, and they are both holding teams to less than 100 yards per game on the ground. Um, they are second and third in the ACC in doing that. And Clemson's rush offense has, you know, it's been kind of underwhelming, you know, despite the fact that they have Travis Etienne, who is far and away the best running back in the country, in my opinion. Um, I think I think Notre Dame will still will be interesting to see how they match up against him and keep him from making plays both as a receiver and running back. Um, and Notre Dame runs the ball well too with Kieran Williams. So you know you have these two incredible rushing offenses with these incredible rushing defenses, and it sets up a really interesting matchup. But I think what it's really going to come down to here is the quarterbacks. You know you have Ian Book and then you have uh, DJ. I'll just say DJ. I don't feel like saying last name again. Um, <clears throat> and and you look at this matchup, and obviously Ian Book has the experience. I mean, this is what his tenth year at Notre Dame. Um, it's got to be something like but, that. He is at, at Notre Dame. He has started twenty nine football games. Gosh, I mean, it seems like he was like the direct successor to Jimmy Clausen. 
Um, you know, but I think I would give the edge to DJ in this matchup because, you know, he doesn't have the experience, but my goodness, he has the talent. I mean, gosh, I, I Clemson is going to be scary for years to come with that man, a quarterback. And I just don't think book can make the throws. So I see this as a very low scoring game um, with uh, DJ making enough plays and ETN getting loose a couple times. And, you know, so I think Clemson will cover with like a 23 to 14 type score. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen the line if Trevor Lawrence was playing in this game because at minus five and a half, doesn't seem like there's too big of a drop-off between Trevor Lawrence and DJ when it comes to the Vegas line. I mean, I can't imagine, even if you had a whole other touchdown for Trevor Lawrence, 12 and a half would have been a huge spread for this game. So uh, Vegas must seem really confident in his ability to score the football or else they just really don't like Notre Dame. Barrett, what do you have for this matchup? Yeah, newsflash, everybody. I don't think Clemson even needs Trevor Lawrence to win this game by touchdown. Um especially when you have, like Robert said, when you have a guy like Etienne to hand the ball up to as a safety measure, I don't think it's going to matter. I think both teams have great run defenses also, but I don't think it's just in the end it's going to matter. I think Clemson was caught sleep, sleepwalking last week, especially on defense, but I don't think Dabo is going to let that happen twice, and especially if Notre Dame has to start throwing the ball and getting outside the hashes where they're going to have to start being a little flashy. I think they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Just Clemson's speed is just going to be able to keep them tight. So as much as I want to be right about picking Clemson to, you know, lose a game as I did in our first post of the year, I don't think I'll be proven wrong again. I think Tigers get it done by a touchdown or more. Yeah, Ed and Chris, you guys both talk about how it's not as much about Clemson as it is Notre Dame and you don't have a whole lot of faith in the Irish in this matchup. You know, when you guys just go ahead, it's why do you not trust Notre Dame to cover the five and a half points. Yeah, I'll take a stab at that first. Just it's been 10 years under Brian Kelly. So you look back and you go, where are all the marquee wins under Brian Kelly for Notre Dame? And you look at that and you say, oh yeah, you know, even under Ian Book in the last few years, but just overall as a whole, they're they're pretty much average against top ranked competition. I would say top rank, I say top 25. If you narrow that list to like a top 10, they have an abysmal record. They're just not able to be able to rise up to what we consider to be the elite competition in NCAA football. So you just factor that against the other side of the coin, which was Clemson usually has that one game a year. We're always used to them kind of playing it tight with one opponent. That was last week. That's out of their system now. And not only that, and I'm a big fan of the QB1 season uh, for Netflix. I think it was season four. I remember watching it, and uh, they were following the one quarterback. I think he ended up at like Iowa State or something like that. But he actually got benched for the much better quarterback behind him. And uh, as much as I don't uh, practice my quarterback pronunciation like Robert, I'm going to call him DJ. Uh, that was the kid from Don Bosco Prep out there in California. And this behemoth kid, 6'5", 250, comes in. And everyone's saying Trevor Lawrence has COVID and this guy comes in and give him the first half to adjust the second half. Oh yeah. By the way, this is a five-star six foot five, 250 pound, just monster. Who's essentially going to continue carrying the Clemson just, just dominance for the next few years. So just mixing the fact that Notre Dame doesn't win big games with Clemson kind of getting that just one rando out of their system. I, I can just see them, not only covering this game, but blowing out Notre Dame. 
By the way, they last met two years ago, not even a full season ago, and Clemson won 30 to three. So the gap between these two programs is still there because not much has changed since then. Yeah, like Chris just said, Notre Dame doesn't win big games. And like I said in the article, until they prove otherwise, I'm going to go with Dabo and the Tigers, um, even without Lawrence. As soon as I heard Lawrence was out, I really wasn't that worried for Clemson because of how good um, DJ is. And, you know, they kind of slept walk through the first half, but they really hit their stride in the second half last week. So I think Clemson wins by touchdown. Yeah, guys, I this game was almost a toss-up for me, and not because I think Notre Dame will win this game. I think Clemson will win this game, but five and a half just seemed like a lot to be taking your backup quarterback to South Bend to play a really experienced, really tough Notre Dame team that's been on a roll as of recent. Also, Notre Dame has won 22 straight home games. 22 straight they have won. That is remarkable. And I know I, I put this in the article. It's going to be upper 60s, mid, low 60s during kickoff. That is not uh, November South Bend weather. And I think if you're Notre Dame or you're a Notre Dame fan, you're looking at this and you're saying, I would have really liked a cold, wintry mix, miserable time like it has been the two times the Hokies have gone up to South Bend. And you're not going to get that. And I think that actually plays a big part in this game. And that had me leaning Clemson, but I just... I, I something is telling me that this is going to be a really close game for Clemson. Like something is telling me that Notre Dame is going to put up a fight because they know if they win this game, they are basically guaranteed the college football playoff. Even if they lose to, uh, in the ACC title game, whether it be to Clemson or someone else, like you win this one, you're basically guaranteed there. And it, that's look, that's the, that's the benchmark for Notre Dame. They have to get to the college football playoff for it to be a successful season. I mean, they win so many games. Ian Book is 20, uh, 26 and three as starter at Notre Dame. He is 26 and three. His three losses have come against uh, Michigan last year in that monsoon game. Then the loss to Clemson, 30 to three in the college football playoff. And then uh, there was one other game. I just am blanking on which one it was, but uh, he's a good quarterback. And he's not flashy. He's not sexy. He's not really fun to watch, but he's a good quarterback and he wins football games and Notre Dame's tough at home. Give me plus five and a half points. I like that. I think it might be a little low scoring. Give me plus five and a half points. And we're going to move to a much warmer climate, Jacksonville, Florida, where we have the world's largest cocktail party. Probably won't be much of a party this year, but Georgia minus three and a half versus Florida. This is probably the game to decide the SEC East who gets to go get their buck kicked by Bama in Atlanta at the end of the year. Georgia is minus three and a half. Ed, short and sweet. You got the Gators. Yeah, I think Dan Mullen finally, you know, gets one under his belt for Florida. Um, I like Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts. Georgia's defense is ridiculously good. Um, But on the other end, their offense is inconsistent at best. So I think Florida is going to be able to score enough points to at least cover the three and a half. Um, that half point could be big in this game, but I like, I like Florida to be able to keep score enough points to, um, potentially win the game outright, but at least I think they can cover the three. So, yeah, Chris, you have a pretty interesting stat about this rivalry that has been one of the most balanced rivalries in college football in recent memory. First, let's get one thing clear. This is 
Florida and Georgia fans, it's still going to remain the largest outdoor cocktail party at full strength. Come on, let's just be honest. They're still going to be there in the parking lot in Jacksonville. Whether just the sea of boats and jorts, it's going to be great. Uh, but in all seriousness, yeah, I look back and it was least likely over the last 12 years. And weirdly enough, I think since the Tebow era, each team has kind of traded off in increments of three each year. Uh, so it's been three, 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 and three. And counting last season, Georgia was the last team to win the third in a row. So if you just kind of take a, a random historical trend, you know, maybe that means that Florida is due, I guess, in this matchup for, uh, I believe it would be Dan Mullen's first career victory against Georgia, if that's the case. I believe it would be. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, I, I just think these teams equal each other out. Every single metric, both on offense and defense, and what one strength meets the other team's weakness, everything just balances out. So if I look at that, it's somewhat of a neutral side. In fact, it's probably more so a Florida home game than anything. Um, just give me that half point. It's just all the value adds up of being, hey, this just looks like a game that Florida, in, in anything, can at least keep close and cover, possibly win. Robert and Brett, real quick, you guys both have Florida. Um, is there any hope for Georgia and the much-talked-about quarterback, Stetson Bennett, to win this game? Because I think a lot of people were surprised that they were even favored. Even having that great defense, they have not looked super impressive this year. Yeah, I mean, Bennett, Bennett had a really great start to the season, but you know, it really tailed off. It was really in that Alabama game when um, that Alabama defense kind of wreaked some havoc on him and, and forced him into three interceptions, and he was not able to recover the next week because um, he looked pretty bad against Kentucky. Um, I think I think if Georgia has a chance here, it comes down to bet to um, Bennett not throw, throwing interceptions and um, the defense getting enough stops. Um, I, I see this if if it turns into a low scoring slugfest. I think that's the kind of game Georgia wants to win. Um, but if it turns into a shootout, it'll be a lot like the Alabama game where they simply can't keep up. Um, and you know, I hate more than anything trying to predict what Florida is going to do in a big matchup because they're wildly inconsistent, especially under Dan Mullen. And but I, I think that they cover here, and I also think they win outright and. Um, this would actually be Dan Mullen's second win over Georgia. He had a win against them in 2010 while at Mississippi State, um, but definitely his first one at Florida. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Florida gets the job done this week. Yeah, I have to agree with Robert, especially on the scoring thing. I said in the article, if Florida gets up gets up to getting you know, around the upper 30 range in points. I just don't think Georgia's going to be able to keep up, especially after what happened to the Alabama game. I mean, that's exactly what happened. Alabama got above 35 and Georgia's could never catch up. So I think this is one of the toughest spreads that we're going to be looking at all season because we just don't know what Florida's going to do in a big game. But I do know they finally have a solidified quarterback and a legit threat a legit receiving threat, a threat that's a Heisman candidate at tight end, which is crazy. So I think Florida's going to get it done. Yeah, I have the same logic as I think everybody here. Um, big game, big rivalry game, go with the better quarterback, and that's clearly Kyle Trask, and he has the best weapon on the field in tight end Kyle Pitts. And I just, I Florida's defense is not spectacular, but it's still top 15, top 16 in the nation. So I, I think the Gators can win this game, but 
with that Georgia defense, you never know. A low-scoring game, it can be a special teams play, defensive touchdown, uh, a run that goes long. You never know in these games, and these teams hate each other. So we'll see if they can both keep their cools because Florida struggled with that last week. All right, so now we are going to move into the over-unders section with Ryan Hartman. Ryan, what games are we going to be sweating out this weekend? So we are back with the over-under point totals of the week. What do we like? Who's going to score? Who's not? Whether all these factors, you know, they have to play into pick our picks. Um, and they will for me. They will for me today in a lot of different ways. Um, so let's jump into it. I've talked a lot about the SEC overs for weeks now. Um, I'm not even close to abandoning that. I'm going to go Florida, Georgia, over 52 and a half. Um, this is historically is, is your classic grinded out game, but Florida is scoring 42 points per game while allowing almost 30 points per game. And we're looking at a point total of 52 and a half. I, 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 I understand the struggles of a Georgia offense, and I think I actually still think Georgia will win the game. Um, at home. Um, I think they will have the upper hand at home. However, how do you bet the under with a guy like Kyle Trask on the field? 18 touchdowns, two interceptions, already over 1,300 yards, has a, a just a, a weapon in, in pits as well. Kyle squared. Uh, I, I'm, going, I'm going, with, uh, going with a shootout in this one a little bit more so than people think. Um, not necessarily the shootout Big 12 that you think of, you know, Baker versus, uh, Baker versus Pat, Pat Mahomes, anything like that. But I think 52 is too low. 52 and a half is too low. I'm, in a, I'm banking on the Georgia offense being competent enough to put up 29 um, against Florida. Uh, and I think, I think they will. I think this screamed like a 31, 24-ish, even maybe 28-type game where you're going to be sweating it out in the fourth quarter, but I feel like it's going to go over. Um, and maybe not. Maybe it goes over before that. But take the over there. I like the over in Florida and Georgia. Next one I have is another over for you, Clemson and Notre Dame. Um, so we saw BC's offense able to exploit Clemson last week um, for for a good portion of the game. You know they they faltered a little bit late um, when when Clemson kind of clamped down. However, this Notre Dame team is much more talented. Is much more I think is much has better athletes on the, the, that side of the ball, and and frankly has a better quarterback, a more proven quarterback in Ian Book. I, I know he's not having his his best season, and, and I know he's not performing up to the standard that he may have thought however i think 51 and a half is also too low for for a game that that feels like it's going to be a little bit of a shootout um i think i don't necessarily love yui agalele i like etn so travis etn is getting buzzed for the heisman we know that we hear that whether he deserves that over somebody like khalil herbert you could debate until the cows come home, and, and we are certainly biased on that. But he needs a showcase game to where he can put up immense numbers against elite talent or against, against um, you know, a quality opponent. This feels like that game to me. This feels like that game where Travis Etienne scores a lot of points, and whether that's catching the ball out of the backfield or running it right down. 
um, I think he puts up a lot of points. So I think for that reason, Clemson-Notre Dame goes over. I'm going to throw in a Pac-12 one for our last one. Um, just because it's back, and we haven't really talked about it a whole ton, but I think it's worth a flyer. Oregon-Stanford under 51. I'm betting on the rust here. I'm, I'm betting on the rust. I'm betting on Stanford's brand of football that hasn't changed for, you know, I guess my feels like the whole time I've been watching college football, which is, um, you know, 15, 20-some years. Um, but I, I, I think the rust factors in here and that these two, these two schools are playing their first game. It takes a while to get the offense clicking. There's, there's looking like rain. Um, there's looking like rain at this one. So that one, that one's also, also got a factor in, and the, and the rain, I think a rain game with Stanford, it just feels like, um, you know, it always rains in Eugene, but it just feels like this one's going to be a slower one um, that Oregon may have to leak out, like leak out late. I don't know. Um, but I do like the under Pac-12 is back. Um, let's ride with the under there and see what happens. Betting on the rust again, betting on the rain. Um, but it, there are your spots for, for week, um, week 10, I believe it is. And uh, let's see what we can do. All right, let's move on to our next matchup. And we have a Big Ten football game. We have a Big Ten football game between two ranked opponents, and it is Michigan minus three and a half at Indiana. You heard that right. This is a football game between two top 25 teams in Michigan and Indiana, not a basketball game, not a basketball game. It's a football game, and Indiana is the higher ranked team. A lot of people are surprised that Michigan is getting three and a half points here, and I'll just open that up. General question to you guys. What do you think about that three and a half spread? Maybe not even your picks. I think I Vegas does not buy into the Indiana hype. Yeah, I think people are just don't know what to think about Michigan, honestly, especially after last week and then especially Indiana beating Penn State. So I think it's just they're leaving it close just for people to get for it to get action instead of making it you know too big. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking, too, is that Vegas isn't buying into Indiana's hype. And you know what? I'm not either. And my number one reason for that is turnover luck. Indiana was completely outplayed against Penn State. I believe they were outgained by a little bit over 300 yards. The only reason Indiana had a chance to take that to overtime is because Penn State didn't know how to act at the end of the game. I mean, they were they pulled the Todd Gurley and just fell into the end zone. All you got to do is slide down there and the game is over. Like if he slides down, they take a knee and the game is over. Um, so, And then against Rutgers, the Hoosiers grabbed three interceptions and they only won the game by two possessions to a Rutgers team that, yes, they're rebuilding. Yes, they're better than last year, but they're still Rutgers. And I just don't think Indiana is as good of a team as we are hyping them up to be. I think if you're looking at a regular 12-game season, this is an 8-4 and four type Indiana Hoosier team. Michigan, on the other hand, I think is a little bit better than what we're giving them credit for now. Because I watched that Minnesota game. They have so much talent. I just cannot see them playing that poorly two weeks in a row. I, I just can't. And I, I think they're a better team. I think they can win this by a couple touchdowns. It'll probably be closer than that because Indiana's going to look to run the ball a lot. But look, Indiana, they've won their games because of turnovers. They have six turnovers on the year. Uh, Michigan has none. Michigan has not turned the ball over against Minnesota, and they did not turn the ball over against Michigan State. Indiana is going to struggle to get those extra possessions, struggle to get the short field. 
Michigan's going to play a clean game and come out of there with a victory. Ed, you have Indiana plus three and a half. And you say Michigan's a more talented team, but, you know, hardball. Yeah, the three things that I looked at for this game were Indiana's at home. They're coming off of, you know, they obviously are riding a high right now, being ranked in 2-0. and And, yeah, Jim Harbaugh, I mean, he's kind of been a fraud in his time at Michigan. He's been there for plenty of time to have this program back to where that they expect to be, and they just aren't there. Um, you know, they, they won in the first week pretty handily. They looked really good, and then they turn around and lay an egg against, you know, their in-state rival. Um, I don't really know if I believe in Indiana either, but for the sake of playing devil's advocate, I saw you guys all picked Michigan and I picked Indiana and we'll see if it works out for me, but the Ryan, they're riding a high, right? They're riding a high right now. So we'll see if they can continue to do so against, you know, Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines, Robert, Chris, Brett, you guys all have Michigan minus three and a half. The Wolverines going to Bloomington, Indiana and grabbing the W, uh, any of you guys, what do you have pointing to Michigan? We just kind yeah. of actually I, off. Oh, oh, wow. We all really, we all really <laughs> want to talk about Michigan. Everyone oh. is super passionate about Big Blue. Wow. <laughs> wow, that was pretty impressive. You, you take this one, Brad, yeah. in the top left screen of the Zoom. I just uh, – I don't see Harbaugh losing this game at all or even – keeping it close. I mean, if they lose his game, I, he's as good as gone. And Luke Fickle's on the next plane over to Michigan. I mean, it's that, that'll be, that'll be the end of his career. If they lose to Indiana this week, even though Indiana's being overhyped, I just don't foresee that happening. I think they're going to play conservative and wear down an Indiana team that is considerably less talented. Like you said, Sam, I think that Michigan is way talented. They blew me away in the Minnesota game. I couldn't believe how much, how outmatched Minnesota was of all the hype they were getting. I did. It's just, they were clearly much better team. I just don't think they'll uh, do it again after a really disappointing loss to a really disappointing, honestly, program going on at Michigan State. Um, so I think it, it'll be at least a touchdown or 10 points. I mean, it could be two scores or more. Chris, what yeah, do you have? Yeah, I was going to say, I think the narrative kind of fits somewhere in between there. So Ed's right that Harbaugh has been overrated, but only against teams uh, named Ohio State and his in-state rival Michigan State because – Pretty much the rest of the Big Ten, I believe he's gone 31-5 and five against them uh, since he's joined Mi- Michigan. And the remaining losses among those five were to Penn State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. So against the bottom half and kind of the mid-league teams in the Big Ten, he just has basically done what he's supposed to do as the Michigan head coach, which is dominate kind of the remaining part of the Big Ten conference. So I expect that to be the same here. I don't see them not only just – eking out and against the spread win here. I, I, I will probably see them winning by about, you know, two scores probably at the end of this one. I actually have uh, a little bit of trivia for you guys. Um, Ooh, bring can, it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can anyone name um, the last time Jim Harbaugh beat a top 15 team in a stadium other than Michigan Stadium? Would it be when he was with Stanford and beat USC at the Coliseum? Close. It would actually be the 2011 Orange Bowl when he beat number 13 Virginia Tech in what would be his last game at Stanford. Um, So that means that Jim Harbaugh in his career at Michigan has not beaten a top 15 team away from home yet. Um, 
you know, that, wow. that certainly is cause for concern. But to me, this is probably the easiest top 15 matchup he's had in his career at Michigan. Um, I just don't think Indiana's legit. And also, um, he bounces back from losses pretty well. Um, at Michigan, especially, you know, he, he has lost back-to-back games five times while at Michigan, but four of those times have been in their bowl game following an Ohio State loss. Um, so clearly there's not a month and a half layover here between games. And even though they're not at the big house, I think that um, Michigan goes on the road here. Joe Milton bounces back and they take care of business. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game to watch for sure, just from the coaching carousel standpoint. If Michigan loses this one, it it might be done for the khakis in Ann Arbor. We're going to move on to a really, really interesting top 25 matchup out West. Brigham Young, 7-0, ranked number nine in the country, I believe, there in the AP. Top 25, number nine. Um, They are traveling to Boise State. Really tough place to play on the Smurf turf. What do you guys have? I have a couple interesting stats that I want to point out, but uh, Robert, I'll go with you. You have Boise State plus three. Yeah, I have the upset here. I think, number one, it comes down to the fact that Boise State is at home, and even with no fans, um, that stadium is one of the toughest places to play in the country. You've got the Smurf turf. You've got Boise State. I'd imagine they'd be rocking all blue. So they're blending into the field. Uh, BYU's going to have a little trouble keeping up. But it also comes down to the quarterback play. And Zach Wilson has been um, a spectacular story in college football so far as a quarterback for BYU. Um, He's a Heisman candidate and deservedly so. But Boise State has two very good quarterback options. Um, They've got Hank Bachmeyer who is a true sophomore, started a lot of Boise's games last year as a true freshman, is a four-star quarterback, which you don't see a lot of those in the Mountain West. Um, but they also have Jack Sears, who is a transfer from Southern Cal, and he was also a four-star recruit. So Boise State has two four-star quarterbacks. Bachmeyer missed the last game with an injury, so we don't know who's going to go out there, regardless of which one of those two they throw out there. Um, I think that whoever that quarterback is will lead Boise to the to the cover and the upset. And I think BYU's playoff dreams are going to be pretty well crushed. I, I believe Bachmeyer might still be out. So I think it's going to be Sears at the helm for the Broncos. Uh, Brett, Ed, Chris, what do you guys have on this game? BYU is looking to inch their way into the college football playoff discussion. They're going to have to hope for a Cincinnati loss, but... Uh, what do you have with the Cougars versus the Broncos? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I think, you know, the BYU in the playoff and BYU winning a Heisman Trophy thing are two um, potentially realistic uh, ideas here that you wouldn't really think of, you know, going into a college football season. But um, they're a good team, and Zach Wilson has a legit chance to, you know, especially this week, kind of put a stamp on his season, beat a team, you know, beat the best team that's going to be on their schedule and the rest of their path to, you know, undefeated and potential playoff bid is not, you know, is, is rather easy. Um, so if Zach Wilson can go out this week and put on a show in a game, that's going to be, you know, have a lot of eyes on it. 
Uh, it could really boost his chances in terms of the Heisman. And, you know, minus BYU, minus three, they're undefeated, and they have the best player on the field, so I'm going to go with them to cover in this one. Brett, you have BYU yeah. as well. Yeah, Brett, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I mean, the one stat that's really glaring to me, even though BYU hasn't played, you know, that great of competition, is they're still just a well-oiled machine. I mean, they've beaten teams on average 44 to 13 a game. That's 31 points. That's almost – that's – four scores a game. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. And to be honest, I think that they're just going to be on this momentum and I think they're going to keep it rolling even on the Smurf turf. Boise State's only in their third game of the season. Um, so I think it's going to just hard for me to bet against the Cougars here. Yeah, Brett, I, I kind of echo what you're saying about, you know, BYU, how dominant they've been. Um, it's They are a train and they are rolling and it doesn't look like there's any stopping them. But my issue with that is, and we'll get into this also when we have, we talk about the tech game versus Liberty. So we'll save kind of the broader discussion for then. But right now they've played the 94th ranked schedule in the country. That's not very good. They have played really bad teams. The teams they have played are a combined 20 and 27 on the season. That's not good. Uh, they have played a cupcake schedule, an absolute cupcake schedule. When they played Navy at Navy, Navy had not practiced football in like 18 months. I mean, it's they have been handed seven and zero, and they're a good team. And and I, I mean, Zach Wilson is legit. He is so fun to watch. Um, I think he is the real deal. And but that being said, I, I don't think you can stop that momentum. You can't quantify the momentum. You can't quantify that desire to make the college football playoff. And BYU just seems to be on a roll right now. I love Boise State. I love what they have there. They're going to play really good defense. Uh, if we're looking at over-unders, this is one of the most interesting over-under games because you have two really, really good offenses. But the fact that Boise State's defense has played as well in the first two games that they have, um, it's going to be the biggest test for BYU by a country mile. And I, I had a lot of trouble with this game. I really wanted to go Boise State plus three. But three is just such a small line. Uh, I think if this was within a touchdown, I'm taking Boise State all day. I'm not blinking twice. If this is at um, if this is at six, seven, eight points, Boise State all day. But the fact that it's only a field goal and the fact that you won't have the crowd at Boise State, uh, I give the edge to BYU to win this close game. Uh, and I think that train keeps rolling. Uh, Chris, you have Boise State plus three. End us with why you think the Broncos can upset the Cougars. I think overall, just with the trend of one, Boise State is just crazy good at home. And just I went all the way back that as far as I could reach in some of the stat tracking sites, but just kind of what their overall record is 114 and eight at home since 2001. So eight losses essentially at home in 20 years. And those were losses I've looked back at them against pretty solid either Mountain West or whatever kind of conference they were in back in the earlier um, 20, 20, 2000s, um, of which that's what I had to ultimately find out is, is BYU one of those types of programs that can win in Boise. And I don't think they are solely because of their schedule, and I don't know how good they actually are. They've been sort of average over the last few years, and they took this massive leap to 7-0. and And then you look at their original schedule, it's like – they were supposed to play Utah, Michigan State, 
Arizona State, Minnesota, Utah State, Missouri from their first seven games. And this is exactly the opposite of that, of what they've done. So I just, I don't see them. I see them as the most overinflated 7-0 in college football right now. So Zach Wilson might be a great quarterback. I just don't know what it looks like against a great defense. You're going to see that in this matchup. But in this matchup, based off of the unknown of how good they are versus how much I do know that Boise State is really good at home, I'm going to go with Boise State all day. I think it's the toughest line that we've picked all year, personally for me. Uh, I think these are two really good teams. They're two really well-coached teams. And there's a lot of good players out there. Uh, This game is on Friday night, and I'm so happy that it is because I think both of these programs deserve to be showcased on national primetime television. So good for both of them. It's going to be a fun one to watch. It's always fun to watch Boise State at home. Uh, I'm really, really excited about that one. All right, guys, the main event, a top 25 team is coming to Blacksburg on Saturday. And they are the Liberty Flames. They are undefeated, and they are plus 14 and a half at Virginia Tech. And I'm going to ask you guys the question again. What do you think of this line? Is it bigger than what you thought? Is it smaller than what you thought? Over two touchdowns against the top 25 team. I would have guessed that it would have been around like 12 or 12 and a half, something like that. I actually think this line is right on, to be honest. Like, it's right where it needs to be. Yeah, just to, I agree, just to get enough action yep. to for, for people that want to get over two scores and for people that aren't comfortable with two scores, I think it's perfect for people that want to get action on the, the two-score play. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it turned a lot of heads because it was a top 25 team playing a non-top 25 team and they're underdogs by over two touchdowns, but we'll kind of go into some of the reasons why, and I'll, I'll start off. I talked about BYU playing an easy schedule. Liberty has played the easiest schedule in the nation. Like statistically they have, and it's not even remotely close. Um, I It's somewhere in this article, but what is the, they're four and 28. Their opponents are four and 28. That's, I mean, it's, they're literally playing winless teams. Most of the teams they have played, like have not won. And I, I can't believe they're ranked in the top 25. I know they're undefeated. I know it's a weird year, but I I was kind of shocked when I saw them crack the top 25. Now, they do have a lot of weapons on the team, and I will give them credit. Malik Willis is legit. He is a top power five athlete. Um, Whether he's top power five quarterback, I I don't really know about that. I haven't done enough film study on him to decide that, but he's an athlete, and he has made a living this season just swimming circles around every defense they've played. They have been the more athletic team every matchup. They will not be the most athletic team on the field on Saturday by far. They will be considerably slower and considerably smaller than Virginia Tech. Now, whether Virginia Tech comes and plays fast, I think is the question because we saw them against an inferior Wake Forest team play really, really slow, especially defensively, especially in the defensive front seven. They can't afford to do that because running quarterbacks against Virginia Tech play well. That's just it. I mean, they, they just do. There's something about it against playing that 4-2-5 scheme that running quarterbacks play well. I think the Hokies defense knows that. I think they also feel disrespected that Liberty is ranked while Virginia Tech, who has in a pretty impressive 4-2 and two considering the COVID issues at the beginning of the season, is not ranked. I think the Hokies win this one big. 
I think they go out there and just dominate Liberty. There is nothing I've seen from Liberty that shows me that they could be competitive with Virginia Tech in this game. I want Virginia Tech to squash them. I, I said it last week, kind of off air, and I'll say it again. I want Knox Kadem taking snaps on Saturday. That's how much I want Virginia Tech to win this game by. Uh, I will shoot it over to Chris um, because there's lots of stats that we have for this game because it is such an interesting matchup and an interesting line, regardless of whether you're a Liberty Flames fan or a Virginia Tech fan. There's a lot of cool numbers to get into. So, Chris, go for it. Yeah, just to kind of kick it off. I mean, I'm not even going to dive into the whole Virginia Tech offense versus the Liberty defense. Uh, It's just a matchup between terrible run defense versus the number one power five offense rushing wise. So I do believe that we are going to score consistently and control the line of scrimmage in this matchup. No contest. What I do see, though, is... Over these weeks, we've seen these kind of like ad hoc lineups of who's going to be along the defensive line, especially who's in the secondary. And I thought to myself, like, this kind of reminds me because I'm I'm a bit of a baseball uh, nerd as well. It kind of reminds me when you have some of those immediate relievers thrown into the closer role. It's just a different type of mindset and person that you have to fulfill that closer role. It's why they're the closer. We've been fulfilling short relievers in the closer role across the defense. So when you finally get those key players back, everybody kind of gets to just shift back into what they're naturally good at. And what that means is this defense can now finally operate the way it's supposed to, which is, hey, you have guys like Waller finally full back and healthy along the secondary. You have Crawford finally in the front seven, providing that kind of key defensive tackle position, that gap integrity capability that we haven't had. And everybody else can just go make plays because they know a lot of those types of responsibilities are not theirs anymore. They're amongst those closer positions. And now the defense that was designed to create havoc can finally create havoc. I, I think that this is the game we finally see Hamilton's scheme come to fruition against an overrated opponent. And not overrated because they're two touchdown underdog, but overranked opponent, I should say. And we put together a complete game, finally, on the defense. Robert, I think you have a really interesting narrative that you can see playing out in this game that I think a lot of people might nod their heads and say, yeah, that sounds like what's going to happen. Why don't you take us through that? Yeah, um, just an aside before I dive into that, I I noticed, Chris, that uh, you and I had the exact same picks this week. Um, we picked all five games the same way, which, you know, it makes sense. I mean, with with me being in first place and all, I completely understand why you would want <laughs> to change your strategy and just copy me because clearly that is the best result. Um, but aside from that, yes, Sam, I think this does create a pretty pretty interesting narrative here. I mean, like you said, Liberty is number 25 in the country. And, um, you know, so there's there's two other rankings that I really want to look at which is Sharp College Football and ESPN's Football Power Index. And both of those rankings are analytic-based and not done by writers with certain emotional ties uh, or writers who who see 6-0 and and say, ooh, got to vote for them. Um, So again, they're 25th in the AP poll, but Sharp College Football has them at 74th and the FPI has them at 85th. So Liberty is probably the, the most overrated 6-0 team, maybe in college football history. Who knows? Um, I think Willis is a really good quarterback, uh, but, but the, talent, the talent pool 
Uh, Virginia Tech just has a much better talent pool, and boy, I just I just see Tech just hitting them hard and fast. And I think that Hugh Freeze is a very good coach, and they'll come out they'll come out swinging. I could see it being like ten seven Liberty at the end of the first quarter, but from that point on, I just see Tech putting the foot on the gas pedal and Liberty is going to get caught with their pants down, so to speak. Someone had Imitation to say it, Robert. The highest form of flattery, Irby. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't talk about it at the beginning, but by the way, we uh, have had, a, as a whole group, the last two weeks have not been great for us in our picks. I just want to clarify that for everyone involved. Some of us have done better than others, but uh, some of us have not done very well the past two weeks. And I, I will move this over to Ed because Ed, all week, you have been putting in the in the Slack message. We're we're a real startup now. We all use Slack instead of GroupMe, so it's official now at Sons of Saturday. And you were saying, I don't know, Liberty. It's a scary matchup. Malik Willis, lots of offense, and you know, kind of kind of go through your pick. You still have Tech minus fourteen and a half, but but go through your rationale. Yeah, I still have Tech minus fourteen and a half, and I mean, there's no reason not to, right? Other than the two things I keep coming back to when I looked at this is Hugh Freeze can coach football. He's got them rolling. They've, they seem to have found kind of a groove and they've got, you know, a high level division one caliber transfer quarterback running that offense. And they're, you know, they're moving the ball a little bit. And two, we just aren't very good at putting teams away. And 14 and a half is a decent size number where you have to kind of worry about that. Like, if you look at four of the six games we've played this year, we've either given up a lot of points or just not put anybody away. We put away NC State and we put away Boston College. Even last week, we were doing really well against Louisville. And all of a sudden, you look up, it's a one score game. And we're like, what is going on here? And, you know, Wake Forest, obviously, we lost. Duke, one score game. North Carolina gave up 56 points. Like, we just have a hard time just kind of stepping on a team and ending them, you know, when you have a chance to, and it was, I mean, very clearly evident last week. Um, Liberty offensively has some explosive guys and that's something that tech's defense has struggled with all years, you know, limiting those explosive plays. Um, but like I said, in my conclusion paragraph in the article, um, Virginia Tech should roll. They're way more talented. And I, I think what Chris said about, you know, dominating the line of scrimmage, we're not going to have a problem moving the ball up and down the field. Um, it probably won't be through the air, which is something I'm still worried about, you know, post Liberty, because those other teams we play after Liberty are going to be able to stop to run better than, you know, the teams we played so far, but we're not going to have a hard time moving them off the ball and running with Herbert. Yeah, I could easily see him getting 200 yards and getting to over a thousand for the year this week. Um, and unless you freeze just straight up out coaches Fuente and co, which is very, very possible. Um, I think Virginia Tech will be fine and we'll cover, but like I also said in the article, this game is kind of the equivalent of Alabama for Liberty. Um, something Hugh Freeze did pretty well at Ole Miss was handle Alabama. So we'll see. I just don't think it's as much of a walk in the park as everyone else says, but we'll, we'll find out. Hopefully I'm wrong. I don't think it's a walk in the park. I think Virginia Tech definitely needs to show up, but I'm just kind of predicting they will. I think they've had their sleepy time, bad game of the year that we always see Tech have. Brett, you're a little bit more confident in the 14 and a half number. Yeah, here's a few 
I guess props, I guess I'm going to throw out there. I think Hooker throws it about 15 times or less again. I think we're going with the same game plan. I'm just going to preface this. I think we're going with the same game plan we did last week because obviously Louisville was missing a majority of their players last week on the defensive line, and I'm going to compare that to Liberty's rush uh, run defense. It's not very good, just like Louisville's run defense was not very good last week. So I said Herbert was going to go for 150-plus last week. He was three yards from hitting 150, so I felt like I almost hit that. I think he's going to do it again. I think he could possibly have his most yards this season this game. Uh, I think Hooker doesn't need the ball, need to throw the ball 15 times. Post-Liberty, like Ed said, yeah, it's a little worrisome, but I just want to beat Liberty really bad, and I think the best way to do it is just going to be as efficient as possible, having Hooker throw it only when he needs to, but run it when he run it, run it when he needs to, have Herbert give him the ball the first snap of the game and keep giving it to him. I think Blackshear, because I know he's had a couple of nagging injuries from press conference and stuff. I think he's finally fully healthy. I think he's going to bust one open. Pop play is probably coming this week with him again. Uh, Trey Turner is going to have his best game yet, I think. I, I think most of Hooker's passes are going to be going to him. And I think, as Sam, as you said, uh, Liberty special teams is not very good. And I, David Robinson, he's just sort of waiting for that. Oh, he's about to see. What are you going to say, Sam? Go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm excited you brought that up. According to Sharp College Football Analytics, Liberty has the number 100 special teams this year. I, I They have not been good kicking field goals. I think the guy is 7 of 11. And they are last in the nation in touchbacks. They do not kick the ball out the end zone. Uh, I, oh. I think Keyshawn King, Tavion Robinson, Jalen Holston, I believe, is back there some as well. Uh, it's kind of a rotation for the kickoff return. Her, I think Herbert's been back see, there too. Yeah, I think you could see a Beamer ball play in this game. I, I really do. Yep. Um, but anyways, finisher, I just got super excited because... No, no, I, yeah, no, I saw that. Because I agree with you. I, I And I think Robinson is... He's been a little lackadaisical back there this year. Just like, he, it really seems like he hasn't been like himself. But I think this game is where he finds himself back there and really gets to get down to the end zone. Um, I just think the Hokies are just going to outmatch them in every aspect. Malik, I mean, Williams is a good quarterback. Um we offered him. He decided to go elsewhere, but I just think it's going to be uh, too big of a matchup. So I think we're blowing lame, blowing Liberty's flame out, as we should say. Yeah, and you kind of seamlessly brought us into our prop bets for Virginia Tech of the week. And by the way, for people listening, I do not tell anyone the prop bets that I come up with for the Virginia Tech game until right now. They are totally, totally off the cuff. Last week, we said Hendon Hooker over under 200 yards passing. He ended with 183. So uh, he hit the under there. We also had Rayshard Ashby and Dax Hollifield over under 12 tackles. Way under. I believe Ashby was the only one of those two to have any tackles, and he had five. I believe it was a pretty unproductive day for him, but uh, we could talk all day about Virginia Tech's defensive performance, where it was better and where it was worse. This week's, I think, are a little more interesting and a reason is because of the game plan that Virginia Tech will probably come with trying to dominate the line of scrimmage and running the ball a whole lot. Virginia Tech over under 300 yards rushing. Go. Way over. Way over. 300. I mean, 300 is a big number for rushing yards. I know we've been spoiled, but 300 is a big number. Take a slight over. Just right over 300. I think if you believe that Hendon can push 100 and Herbert can push 250, then you're just talking about a couple different Blackshear slash 
uh, maybe a jet sweep to Turner, um, just something like that to kind of just tip him over the scales. But in this game with this matchup, considering those are the that's the one obvious stat that we excel in against their worst, it just makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to have to go over as well. I think this week would be a smart time to put in Quincy Patterson on some plays. And I think mm-hmm. you might see some rushing yards coming from him as well. Yeah, I mean, really quick. I, I'm going to go with under just because I think the time of position, like we're going to be running the ball so much that the clock's probably going to be stopped or running so much that I just don't know that we're going to be able to um, get over. That's a really big number. But, I mean, it's, super, it's certainly possible. The combination of Blackshear, Herbert, and Hooker, it's, it's certainly possible that we could get over 300. Virginia Tech is averaging 290.2 yards a game rushing. It's insanity. It is absolutely insane. I, I didn't I don't think anyone in the country even expected anything close to two fifty. And here they are at two ninety. I do have a second prop bet that I want to hit you guys with real quick. And it has to do with Liberty quarterback Malik Willis. We all know Virginia Tech has struggled against these athletic running quarterbacks in the past. Um I'm gonna be honest, I f- and I this might be a little sacrilege in Blacksburg, so I'm gonna like not taunt it too much, but I feel better about Virginia Tech facing Malik Willis with Justin Hamilton as defensive coordinator than I do Bud Foster because it just seems like it was his Achilles heel for the last 10 years. Um, And I think Virginia Tech actually did a really good job against Malik Cunningham last week in terms of keeping him in the pocket, keeping him from scrambling too much and extending plays. If you look at how good that Louisville offense has been this year, even in their losses, uh, I, I think Virginia Tech did a good job at least keeping him under wraps. So. Malik Willis is averaging 215 yards passing per game, and he is an accomplished runner. Over under 300 total yards for Malik Willis. Over. That's a tough one. Over. It is, it is tough Three, because 300. 300 total yards rushing and, and passing for Malik Willis. Virginia 300 Tech is allowing, seems like a lot for me. Oh, Excuse me. Sorry. I, I kind of spoke over you the issues with doing Zoom. Uh, Virginia Tech is allowing 460 yards a game. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think 300 sounds like a lot. I'm going to go with under. Yeah, just coming from him, I think I'm going to go under, and here's why. I think three players are going to make the difference if this guy is going to have the game of his life or he's going to have the worst game of the season. It's going to come down to Alan Tisdale. Amari Barno and Devon Diablo. It's going to be up to them to be able to contain this guy, especially once he gets to that second level, it's going to be up to Devon, Devon Diablo and Tisdale to be able to stop him and contain him. And it's obviously going to be Amari Barno stretching out the field, keeping him from getting outside. So if those three guys are having good days, it's going to be under 300. I want to go over because hopefully we're winning by a lot and they need to throw. I, I agree with Brett here. And the reason is, I think Virginia Tech has the perimeter speed that Liberty just hasn't faced this year. Tremari Connor is playing out of his mind. Uh, He's another one. Yeah, and then Amari Barno, again, the length, the speed coming off the defensive end. Um, you know, I also think having Tisdale in there as the, as, the, uh, as the linebacker has completely changed the speed of this defense. So I have under, slightly under, I think he's going to get around 260, 270 total yards of offense, probably. Um 
And then I, I don't think I put in my pick for the Virginia Tech over under rushing. I think they get slightly under. Uh, and I think the reason behind it is Virginia Tech is going to play with a short field a lot. Uh, I don't think they'll be having a lot of 75, 65 yard drives. I, I think you'll see Virginia Tech having a lot of shorter drives, some shorter fields, hopefully creating some turnovers here and there if they can. Um, uh, Malik Willis has not thrown a lot of interceptions this year, but uh, Liberty, excuse me, has been susceptible to fumbling the football. They've had some fumble luck recovering it themselves. So, um, I see Virginia Tech with the short field a lot. I think you do see some more passing, trying to, you know, get that passing game together. Trey Turner looks like he was getting a lot more separation. He finally seems healthy. Uh, so I have the under rushing yard slightly, and then I have Malik Willis under 300 total yards slightly. And all right, guys, I think that about does it. Any closing thoughts with this matchup? Nope. None. I'll, I'll put Let's it this way. Do you, do you think yes or no? Is Virginia Tech minus 14 and a half a good bet? If it wasn't a good bet, I wouldn't have picked it. Yep. <sighs> well, if good you way to sum it up. Not, if you didn't have me telling you you had to pick the game, like it better be. Yeah, I, I, I think the team is is hungry and motivated enough just because I feel like there's almost a, a, a hint of like like insult to the fact that Liberty is coming into Lane Stadium ranked when Virginia Tech isn't. And I think that Tech is pretty determined to prove just how much of a joke that is. So I would say that's a pretty safe bet. Well, let's hope Virginia Tech comes with that motivation that the fan base is definitely going to bring on Saturday. Uh, I really wish I could be in Lane Stadium for this one. I know Lane would have been rocking for the noon kickoff. So we'll see how we end up this week. Hopefully it's better for the crew from Locks a Saturday. Uh, we are going to sign off here and we'll see everyone next week. And as always, go Hokies. Go Hokies. Oh, no, dead and broke. Get too young for the day.